good to be back. Now, Herman, thought I'd be back before now, and we kind of had plans to recently, and then things didn't turn out right to make that work. But it's good to be here this morning, and I appreciate prayer on my behalf. Sometimes the moderator says, give the brother your prayerful attention. I noticed he didn't say that, but he implied that. So I, I do appreciate your continued prayers for the message and for each one of us. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 11 and 12, there's some verses there that keep going through my mind, or at least I think of them occasionally as I, as I think about the times that we're living in. And there's been a, a challenge and a concern, I guess you could say, that keeps going through my mind and my heart as it relates to where we are and how we deal with this issue. <clears throat> so in verse 11, Jesus was speaking of the things that would happen in the end times. And I want to say this, I don't know if we're living in the last of the last days, but I'm convinced that we are living in the last days. I don't know how soon the Lord's going to come. It could be really soon. But the indications are pretty real that we could be in the times that he was referring to here. He says, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I don't want to leave off verse 13, the hope for us. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And so the challenge this morning is, how do we make sure we endure properly to the end? Now, the thing that is, is seemingly obvious, we live in a, a time when there's so much iniquity abounding, the availability of things that the tempter can use is at his disposal to draw us in is, is just multiplied. We have so much at our fingertips. We have so much knowledge that is floating around, and it's not, it's not the kind of knowledge that is good. You know, one of uh, the main temptation to Eve there in the garden was that they could know as God knows. They could know things. And the temptation today is to know things, to know more. And the world has a lot to offer. And so I just challenge us this morning and, and how we relate to all this and how we secure that steadfast endurance to the end. And that's my challenge this morning. Now, I want to prepare us a little bit for the message, kind of a, to set the framework for how I want us to proceed through the, the service One of the things that is key, I believe, uh, from Scripture, and you'll see some of the Scriptures I'll bring, that we need each other to help see us through. We have a, an obligation, actually, and a responsibility to each other to encourage, to exhort, 
to give a, an example of encouragement. In other words, our lives can be that example that helps someone else to stand, to make right decisions. And so we have this opportunity and, and responsibility to each other, to exhort. And this morning in this message, I want to give you opportunity to do some of that. Now, I don't know if you thought about it and how often you think about it, but we are doing that when we're singing songs. I heard your testimony this morning, your request to God to, to help you be the light of the world. You were challenging me in that. I was challenging you in that. We were all seeking to honor God by what he wants of us. So it was something we stated with our mouth. It was, it was testimony. But at the end of the service, if we have time, I want to give opportunity for you to share. In, in Psalms 78, 28, uh, 73, 28, it says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all his works. I want to challenge us to draw near to God, continue to draw near. This is, this is one of the main ways for us to be able to stand firm, is to actively continue to draw near to God, to, to purposely in our heart make it, make it a priority, draw near to God. But it says the result of that is that we want to declare his works in our lives. And to declare can have different ways. And, and like I said, it can be the example of our life. It can be the words that we say to each other while we sing, or it can simply be our testimony. And so this morning in the service, I plan to stop for a little bit, pause a couple times, and have Brother Anthony lead us in a couple songs so we can give testimony to some of the things I'm sharing from Scripture. In Ephesians 5, 19, it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And then Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of God, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. How? In psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your heart or in your hearts to the Lord. And so I want us to, to actively participate in that this morning with that in focus, that that we're sharing our testimony, response to the word of God, challenging each other. Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. It's by him, that is our relationship with Christ, our meditation of Christ, our experience in Christ, will cause us to want to offer a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So your testimony could be something along the line of, of how you have observed someone else's life that's been a challenge to you. It could be some way that the word of God has spoken to you this morning and challenged you. It could be uh, a word of thankfulness to God for what he's done in your life and is doing. A sincere, honest testimony of joy and thanksgiving by the grace of God can mean a lot to another person in supporting them and challenging them. And so I'd like to get started with the message. 
The title of the message is Sanctified to Serve. If we're going to be faithful to the end, we need to continue a sanctifying process in our life. And in that sanctifying of our lives through Christ, continual evaluating our life experience with the Word of God, there'll be a sanctifying process that takes place. And that sanctifying uh, reality becomes uh, a becomes a reality of serving others as we serve the Lord. <clears throat> and so that's the challenge I want to leave with us this morning is that we have this, this desire to serve God in a way that we draw near to God and it's a kind of sincere approach to God that is meaningful in our life and in so doing, we find ourselves serving others. It's almost automatic that when we really seek God, that we will affect others in a positive way. In a men's meeting recently, we were talking about this in a different, little bit different vein. We were talking about the love that God intends for us to have for each other as, brother, as a brotherhood. But the reality is that that love is not going to be genuine, it's not going to be effective unless it's a response to God's love in our hearts. Because if, if we have drawn close to God and we are experiencing his love, then actually the love for each other is almost automatic. There's a scripture that says, I don't need to teach you how to love each other. You love God and you'll, uh, this is my words, you'll know how to love each other. It'll just be there. And so <clears throat> to begin with, I want us to look at some types. Uh, does that surprise anybody? Uh, types of sanctification. In Exodus 28, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, but um, I've kind of gone down this tight uh, trail again lately. I had the opportunity to share, uh, maybe I told some of you this already. Um, I had a request from a class in Oregon, a high school class, to teach a couple of their Bible classes. And so I didn't have to get on an airplane, uh, thanks to technology. Uh, we did it on a cell phone. They had it on speakerphone, and and we had interchange, and uh, I did send them some things via the internet, uh, email, so they'd have some notes, and, and we, were, uh, we had a picture book that was the same we looked at together. And so uh, it was interesting, and then recently I had someone talking to me about types, and he said, you know, I'm really concerned. He said, I, I appreciate types, but I hear people say that Things in the Old Testament aren't really relevant to us anymore. We just need the New Testament. He said, they're missing something really important. And what I found was those young people in Oregon kind of woke up to that reality along with my types. Students used to it in Bible school. It would be, wow. They would say, I won't, see, I won't read the Old Testament anymore the same because there's things there that really shed light on the spiritual realities of the New Testament and are applicable, practical. And so, with that in mind, that's partly why I want to bring a couple of these types into our focus, to our focus this morning. In Exodus 28, verse 41, it says, And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother, and he's speaking about how to, to clothe the priest in preparing them to serve. And he's talking about the clothing. <clears throat> 
And thou shalt put them upon Aaron, thy brother, and his sons with him, and shall anoint them, and consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Now, the word sanctify is used in that verse. That's one reason I, my, my attention was brought to this verse. But he talks about setting them aside. And, and I want to, in a minute, a moment, I, I want to define sanctification. But right now, let's just look at, at this, and then we'll, we'll bring this other uh, definition into focus. But the purpose of sanctifying them was so that they could minister unto the Lord and his work. And of course, that means they ministered to the people. And before I go on with the next verses, which talks more about this, I want to just say this. One of the things I shared with those students in Oregon was that in the tabernacle setting, the tabernacle set up in a way that the congregation was outside of the fence of the, of the main tabernacle courtyard. And to deal with their sin issues, they had to come to the gate. And at the gate, they met a priest. And the priest would take their sacrifice and then sacrifice it for them and offer it for them in their behalf to take care of their sin problems, to take care of their, their worship uh, responsibilities to God. There on the altar. And I told them it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting how these types work. They kind of double up and they, they uh, overlap. You see, after a person, uh, in the New Testament, the type is actually of, of us as sinners needing to get justified, reconciled with God. And to do that, we need to have our, our sins taken care of. And of course, Christ was our sacrifice. And we meet with our high priest, Christ, who by his blood, applies that to our, our sin problem and brings us into that right relationship with God and gives us forgiveness. We experience the atonement. But there's a miracle happens. When that happens to us now, we become the priest. And now we are ready to serve inside. And so now we, we take the role of the priest. So as you look at the priest, that's us. We were the sinners. After we deal with the sin problem, now we're the we're Priests and kings unto God, it scripture says. And so what these priests do is actually a type of what happens in our life experience in our service. And so this sanctification is something that we experience at initially at salvation, but it's not finished there. And so it was with the priests. They were sanctified to serve, but as they serve, they need to continually be sanctified and recommitted, consecrated to the work. And that is true with us as well. In Exodus 29, then the next chapter, verse 43 says, And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory, and I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. God speaking, he's, he's making it holy. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister unto me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. They shall be, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And so, to be able to worship God and to serve God, there has to be this sanctifying process take place. Otherwise, 
it's not, it, it can't work because God is holy. And so now I come to the definition of sanctification. What is sanctification? Well, actually, Scripture says that God is, is holy. Uh, and he says, I sanctify myself. And Jesus said, I sanctify myself. In, in his uh, high priestly prayer there in John 17, he says, I sanctify myself so that my disciples can be, be sanctified. Now, did he have to have something washed away? No. Sanctification has different, perspe- uh, different uh, types of, of uh, definition. And so I want to look at that now. There's three words that we can use for sanctification. There's probably more, but these are just short, simple word applications to the word sanctification to help us understand the, the picture of what sanctification is or what it's for. First, The first word is pure. Uh, completely without defilement. And of course that brings us to the next word and that's holy. And holy is without sin. God is without sin. Jesus is without sin. It's in that way that he maintained his sanctification or his holiness. That's what he was doing to make it possible for us to be sanctified. He was Continuing to maintain his holiness before God, his Father. And in that, he was an example to us how we can serve the Father and we, we have to have sin dealt with properly so that we can be holy before God and therefore we are experiencing the sanctification. The pureness comes from being washed. And, and that's another word that I didn't have down here, but that's one of the words washed and, and clean. That's part of the sanctification. Uh, one of the words that we think of, we think of sanctifying or, uh, is cleansing, clean, uh, cleaning things up. But there's another aspect of sanctification that's important and it applies to us as well. And that is, and it was true of the priest. Sanctification is to, set up, to, to make holy and then set apart for special purpose. To set apart for God's purposes. Now, I'd like to illustrate this a little bit. I, I remember uh, talking about this some years ago. I, I'm not exactly sure how long ago, but I, I know I used this illustration here. So some of you might remember it. Some of you probably won't. But the way I think of and illustrate sanctification is when I think about the uh, Sunday dinner. Now, after dinner's over with, the plates are not clean anymore. Uh, you wouldn't say they're dirty, but they're not fit to use again, right? And so a process needs to happen so that they can be prepared to be used again. They need to be cleaned, washed. They need to be sanctified. But then there's something else takes place. After they're dried and and to be prepared for future use, they're set apart. I'm, I'm thinking now of a Sunday dinner where you had company. You know, you used the better stuff, the, the china and the, the real silverware, or the, the nice silverware. Maybe y'all don't have two sets like we do. But those things that are for special guests and special occasions, they're kind of, they're sanctified. They're cleaned up, but they're not always cleaned up. They're put set apart for special service. And that's, that's a little bit, that kind of describes how our lives are to be cleaned up and then set apart, separated from the world. We're different than, than the sinners in the world. We're to be, maintain that purity and that 
being prepared for service, special service. You know, in spiritual terms, we probably are guilty at times of thinking, well, I have things in my life that I justify and, and uh, I won't take too serious, but I want to be, I want to serve God. I want to be set apart for his service. Well, that would be a little bit like taking the Sunday dishes and taking them straight to the china cupboard and putting them away without washing. Pretty repulsive. And that's how God sees it. When we try to serve him without taking sanctification, pure life seriously on a daily basis. Actually, it's interesting. As the types unfold, there's another truth that you see. And that is that if a priest did not go to the laver, now that the laver was that big bra brazen uh, bowl of water out in the courtyard right next after the altar where they did all the dirty work of burning those sacrifices and dealing with the blood and all that stuff. They, were, they needed to be cleaned up. And so this laver was there full of water and they could wash their hands. They had little dippers and stuff there that were sanctified. It says that, that uh, Moses actually sanctified all that. The way he sanctified that was he sprinkled it with oil and then he sprinkled it with blood. That doesn't sound real sanctified, does it? Well, I'm not sure how all that worked. The oil probably let the blood run off. I don't know. But they would go to that altar, or I mean to that labor, after they had done their work and they cleaned themselves up. And it says if they did not wash and clean themselves up, sanctify themselves, and they went into the tabernacle to serve in the holy place, they died. And there's a similarity there type-wise. If we're going to try to serve in our brotherhood and, and be part of a, of a pure um, vessel that God wants as a congregation, and we don't take care of things in our life that obviously are not sanctified, there's a sense in which we, we begin to spiritually wither because we can't be blessed in our service to just continue in that unsanctified state. We need continual sanctification. And I want to get to that here in a little bit. Well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I want to talk about initial sanctification, and then I'll talk about progressive sanctification. I've already kind of gotten ahead of myself a little bit there. But before I do that, I want to think a little bit more about the word sanctification. I talk about this pure, it's holy, it means some other things. But I found it interesting that the word sanctification, as was translated from the original, uh, is translated hallowed in the Lord's Prayer. And so we could take the word hallowed and change it in, uh, <clears throat> in, the, in the Lord's Prayer where it says, after this manner, therefore pray, our Father which art in heaven, sanctified be thy name. It's the same word that was used. And so we think of our holy, hallowed Father. And that's the way we should think about him. We approach him. We come to him. But he's, he's pure. He's holy. Undefiled. And that's who we come to. And he's the one that wants us to follow that path. Let's sing number eight in the songs that live.
in the Zion's praises number eight. I'm sorry. At home, my songs that live is green too. the songs a little more familiar than that and probably I like to think a little bit about initial sanctification in other words it's that point where we come to the crossroads in our life and we realize we're a sinner we need to be saved by the grace of God I want to read a few verses along that line in Hebrews 13 12 it says wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate and then in uh, that's the sacrifice being available. Then in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and following, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And so in our sinful state, to be right with God, we have to be justified. We need to be set right. Uh, some have defined, defined that word as, as being uh, defined this way, just as if we hadn't sinned. Now that's not the best definition, but it does give us a little idea that, that to be right with God, we need to be holy like God without sin. And that could only happen when we come to, to God in, in confession and repentance and by faith accept the atonement of Christ's blood in our behalf to deal with sin and give us that justified position before him. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now that word Maybe you should look it up here uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. But it's not spelled H-O-L-Y, it's spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y. The Lord God sanctify you, make you holy, holy, completely, altogether. There's no room for just partly holy, a little bit here, a little bit there, partial commitment, partial uh, cleansing, 
Now, there is a sense in which that is a reality, and that, uh, in, in, this is hard to get said right, but when we come to God and, and our consciences are sprinkled with the blood of Christ, and, and there's a verse that I, I had in my notes, I'm not sure if it's still there, talks about uh, when we draw near to God, our, our hearts, our consciences are sprinkled by the blood of Christ, and actually that's going back and making a reference to the type there of, of sanctifying the priest. When Moses sprinkled the blood on the priest, uh, that was seen as cleansing them and making them holy for service. And it's when we, by faith, accept the blood sacrifice for our sins, it's, it's uh, very similar. But also, as we go on in life, then, we may discover another area of our life or something that we didn't understand that is outside of, of the parameters of God's will. And we come to face to face with the responsibility of how to deal with that. And then we need to apply the blood again in our life where we have missed the mark. And so this sprinkling of our conscience uh, actually is part of the next thought of uh, continual uh, sanctification but the initial sanctification is that we are we are clean and we are completely clean because we've committed ourselves holy holy meaning altogether spelled with the wh <coughs> but that doesn't mean that's the only time that we experience that transition from from uh, our guilt to a sanctified position before God. There needs to be that continual cleansing like, like the priest. As they worked, as they uh, experienced life, they need to go back to that labor again and again and wash. And I do want to say this. We'll come across some verses after a while that, that uh, help us understand what that water was a, a symbol of. But it was... The water was a symbol of the, the water of the word of God that cleanses us. And so I'll move on. <clears throat> In Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith. There's the key, true heart, full assurance, completely sincere, having our heart sprinkled, from an evil conscience. There's that word. There's that sentence. And our bodies washed with pure water. Now it's interesting that it talks about our hearts being sprinkled and our bodies washed. So there's a sanctification process that goes beyond just our minds and our thoughts and our, our heart. But it has an effect on what we do. How we obey the truth. How we live our life in, in, the, in the flesh needs to also be sanctified. And that's what it talk, it's talking about when it says our bodies are washed with pure water. And then in Ephesians 5.26, we get a picture of what that is. It says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And so we have that type in the Old Testament of the labor uh, coming through in the New Testament here that it's, you see, that is an interesting little tidbit on types. That labor was made out of brass, but it was actually made out of the looking glasses, it says, of the women. The, and I don't know why men didn't have looking glasses, but it says the women had these brass plates that were shined and polished to the point they could see themselves. It was their mirror. 
But that's what they had to give up so that there could be sanctification in Israel. But there's a type of, of uh, reality here is that that brass vessel that held that water, actually the water became the mirror. They can look in there and see themselves in the water better than in the brass. Now there's something else that's interesting here as a type perspective, and that is that brass, the metal brass is a type of judgment. Whenever you, you hear about brass, you, you pay attention. There's some judgment on something happening. And actually, the cleansing can only happen in our hearts from the Word if we allow the Word to bring judgment on things in our life that are not in, in perspective with God's will. You see, when we look into the Word of God, we look in it as the mirror. And we see ourselves. And then, as James says, we look in the mirror, and if we're faithful, we change. But if we don't, we just go our way and say, well, so what? And he says, that, that, that's not effective. And he's referring to this very thing, the labor and the priest and cleansing, this daily cleansing. And so when you have your devotions, daily devotions, it's not just a, a pick-me-up and a, um, an inspiration to praise the Lord because I saw some truth there. That's important and that's part of it. But we also be looking for the things that reflect the reality of our life, the things that need to be sanctified and cleaned up, changed for the glory of God in our life. And so that brings us to this thing of progressive sanctification. And I've uh, I discovered it's difficult to talk about the one without the other. And so First uh, Peter 3, 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That word meekness and fear, I believe, is actually... Uh, reference to the reality of a sanctified heart. Meekness and fear, evidence that, that there's proper sanctification taking place. We found our, our perspective before God properly. Now, you know, I said oh, I give you an opportunity to testify after a while. Maybe if I change that and say I'm going to ask you to, and then you have the command here, you've got to respond. That's what the Bible says. Well, I'll leave that one. <clears throat> In 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, it says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the word of Jesus, by, by the Lord Jesus, that as many as have received of us how he ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. And so we are continuing to learn how we ought to walk and how to please God. And so that's our life, our daily expression of life. By the things we do, the things we say, the things that happen in our life need to be coming more and more into the perspective of God's perspective, of sanctification according to the standards of God. Philippians 4 9 says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. He didn't say just agree with, he says, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. And I just want to, I made a note in my notes that that God of peace shall be with you, I believe is a definition of grace. It's the power of God in your life to make it happen God's way. Another several verses I want to read uh, as it relates to progressive sanctification, that means continuing the sanctification process, is found in, in Colossians 1.9 and following. 
says, and for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you see this progression of holiness that is, is to be taking place in our life? You know, you've heard it said probably, and, and there's a sense in which I can understand it, but... Uh, I believe that this can get us off track a little bit. And that's, that's when some say that when we are saved, <clears throat> uh, we are imputed Christ's righteousness so that God sees us as righteous. But you know, if we are not continuing to that, that cleansing process by the word of God, then the righteousness that Christ makes possible and puts into our life won't continue if we're not pursuing it with a committed heart, the desire to be sanctified, the desire to do God's will. If we somehow start t- taking our own will and, and way in life, that, that pleasing of God and, and li- walking and living a righteous life, uh, we become accountable for if it's not what it should be. But it's made possible through the power of God and our faith in Him as we look into the Word and we see what He wants and we respond to that, and we continue this sanctifying process, then we are blessed. And it goes on to say here, verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. John 17, 17, Jesus in the high priestly prayer, I referred to this earlier, said, sanctify them, speaking to his father, through thy truth, thy word is true. Remember, we talked about the labor. And then John 17, 19, Jesus said, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself. And I referred to this earlier. It wasn't that he went from unholy to holy, but that he continued to operate in a holy fashion, to live a holy life, to be an example. And says, he says, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And so I'd like for us to sing number 224. Teach me that truth. Teach me that truth.
y'all hear what each other said? Almost everyone here asked God to teach you truth and made some commitments along that line. Now, I'd like to look at just several areas of life, practical areas of life where sanctification is shows up. We've been talking about these things, and I would just make a couple uh, practical applications. There's a lot more that could be made. But one is sanctified speech. In Ephesians 5.19, we've already looked at this verse about singing, but it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Colossians 4.6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Now, I mentioned brass as being a symbol of judgment, but I also discovered in studying the, another subject one time that salt in the New Testament is actually, and in the Old Testament, by the way, too, actually serves as the same type of symbol that when salt is mentioned, it has the idea, not always totally, but it has the idea of preserving through dealing with contaminants, dealing with putrefying things. In other words, you can cure meat with salt because the salt kills the bacteria that's bad. And that's kind of the idea of salt in our lives. And so, and I, I, I think I preached that sermon here once, uh, salt sermon. So with that in mind, it says uh, that we should, our speech should always be with grace. And the word grace has the idea of God's perspective being played out in my life by his power. And that happens as we, it says season with salt. We judge what we're going to say before we say it. We, we evaluate what we're be, what's our spirit that's coming up to be behind the words we're going to use. And if we are dedicated to sanctification, then that process will yield the right words. We won't say things we'll regret or things that will dishonor God or make another brother to stumble because we have used salt, we've used judgment in choosing and discerning what speech comes out. In James chapter 4, verse 5, do you not think, and following, do ye not think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This has to do with, with this thing of judging what we're going to say and, and how we deal with it properly. And verse 8 says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Sanctification. And purify your hearts. Sanctification. Ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another. You see, this is all preceding this next exhortation. And he says, your heart needs to be right. What comes out should be right. In verse 11, speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges the brother speaketh evil of the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? So a little uh, practical application there of sanctification in what we say. 
Now I'd like you to look at, at another uh, aspect of sanctification that really plays a, a reality in, in the Christian's life, and that is the sanctification that separates. And I want to read a good bit. I'd, I'd encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 7, 1. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath the believer with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, and shall walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now notice verse 18 with all those promises. I will be a father to you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. This is, these are promises. <clears throat> well, actually, uh, there's a promise in verse 17. It says, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And then verse 1 of chapter 7. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, sanctification, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Notice it's not just our attitudes and all that, our, our thinking, our heart, but our flesh. What we do in life needs to come under the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit's evaluation. Is it holy? Does it separate us from the world? Or is it like the world? Is it part of the world? It says here that we... We are to be separated. Uh, set aside for special service in God's kingdom means reality, in reality that we do things differently in life than others around us that aren't sanctified. Verse, <clears throat> verse 1 of 7. Having therefore these promises, dear beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the, of the spirit, flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And that perfecting holiness has to do with more than our attitude. It's the way we live. And we, as a as a people, as as a as Anabaptists, have have uh, taught and emphasized the need to be separate and to not be yoked together with those who are are on a different belief system than we are. And we have uh, some we have we have some things in place to help us have guidelines to know uh, what we understand is appropriate in in uh, not being yoked together with those who, who believe different than we do that could compromise our principles and our lifestyle and our, and our life pursuits. Now the last section I want to look at is sanctification cleanses. We've talked about that a good bit, but I just have some verses here I want to read. I want to read to you before we sing the last song, 321. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away of thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, notice this last verse, then will I teach transgressors thy way and sinners shall be converted unto thee. So our testimony can have a, an effect toward the cleansing of others. That's what I would call the evangelistic verse. It's when we get it right, 
then we're prepared. Then we'll make a difference. We'll affect those around us to make the right decisions, to, to seek after God. And that's the challenge. So let's sing that last song. I gave you a number now. I'm not sure what it was. Uh, you got it. You want spirit of God to set upon my heart? Yeah. It's 201. I'm sorry. Thank you. And this will be our closing song. And if you have a, a testimony after this song, I'm going to wait a little bit for it, but not long. 201. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Spirit of God, descend upon
someone have a word? I think that you and I probably both feel um, that same desire that we expressed in verse 3. Is it verse 3? No, verse 4. One holy passion filling all my frame. And the next phrase says, the baptism of the heaven-descended dove. Um, that Holy Spirit filling is, is something we desire, but we can't make. We can wait for, as it were. But I think that there's preparation. And I was just jotting down some things I was hearing in the sermon and, and, and some things that have been sort of coming to me in different ways in the last couple of days. And, uh, I, you know, in Sunday school I mentioned, I talked about the, the, the deadness thing. And here are some things that I think are a solution for deadness, but they need to be taken as a whole, and we can't just take one thing and say, well, I'm going to get rid of this, and then I won't be dead anymore, which is the way, we tend, the way I tend to do. If I could just get rid of this, I won't be dead anymore. Continue in prayer. Immerse yourself in the Word of God. Recognize the gospel power. Be sanctified. That is, remove iniquity allow ourselves to be set apart for the work of God, reject false prophets, declare his works, that is, sing, testify, and serve others. Thank you. The last phrase made me think of Romans 12, 1, I believe, is, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living My heart, the altar, that's where the crucible is. We're, we're dealing with the realities of life. But God's love makes that work. Come out with the right results.